0: Good morning. This this morning's reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and you can find that on page 676, or you can follow it on the screen. Ecclesiastes 9, chapter chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, page 676. It's called A Common Destiny for All. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward And even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the realm of the dead where you are going there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun, The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them.
1: Thanks, Matthew. Well, I've been watching the news uh, with amazement. I thought the events this weekend with that mutiny uh, in Russia with the Wagner leader Prishkin was extraordinary. And maybe our prayers are beginning to be answered that the tide of the the war is turning and that uh, Ukraine will be free again. Uh, We can continue to pray for that. Um, I do remember as well in 2002 watching an extraordinary um, press conference from Iraq with Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. Do you remember him explaining the limitations of the intelligence reports that they were receiving from Iraq? He said, There are known knowns, there are things that we know we know, we also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things that we do not know. Well, I hope this message this morning is going to be a bit clearer than that. Um, But today, we're looking at a chapter of Ecclesiastes, or 12 verses, which tell us that there's one thing we know that we know. Then there are many things that we know that we don't know. And then there are some things that we know are wise. So as I begin, you might think, oh my goodness, this is going to be another depressing message by Chris Webb. Um, But I want you to, to bear with me through the first point and through the first few verses and to see that this message is not depressing at all. This message this morning is really, really good news. But I do want to start with the one thing that we know that we know, and I'd like you to look down at your Bibles on page 676. And it's right there in verse 2. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. And what is the common destiny? It's that everybody... The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, and everybody else is going to die. Death is our common destiny. And so the teacher in Ecclesiastes is reaching some conclusions now. He's beginning to conclude his teaching. We see that in verse 1. He says, I've reflected on all this that I've observed, and I'm coming to some conclusions. And he said that there are so many things in life that we can't grasp, that life is It's short, it's repetitive, it's unfair, it's hevel, it's meaningless. But in verse 2, he says, there's one thing that I do know and that can grasp, and that is that everybody is going to die. There's one thing that we can all depend on for sure. We're going to die, and we're closer to that point now than we were at the beginning of this service. Death comes to us all no matter what we have done. And yet it's still a shock, isn't it? I, I remember my dad uh, phoning um, two years ago. And he, never, he hadn't phoned me up for two years. And he, he phoned and he said, look, the doctor's given me 18 months to live. I've got terminal cancer. And the doctor was absolutely right. It was almost exactly 18 months. So these verses are going to tell us a few things about death. And the first thing in verse 3 is we see that death is evil. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. Death is evil. People don't get a fair deal from the grim reaper. Why should the drug dealer and the mass murderer receive exactly the same sentence as the upright person? To It just doesn't make sense. It's Hevel. Why should the Nottingham murderer who went around stabbing students last week and a righteous person receive the same fate? When confronted with death in the form of his friend Lazarus, Jesus was angry and he wept because death is evil and it's kind of not meant to be here. But we see also that death is in us. An extraordinary statement here um, in verse, verse, for, verse 3b. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Madness and evil are in us all. This is the same point that Paul makes when he writes the letter to the Romans, he says, there's nobody righteous, not even one person on the face of the earth because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God and death has passed to everybody on the earth because all have sinned. He, he puts it this way, the wages of sin is death. Uh, Romans 6:23. Death is in us all, because of our rebellion against God, we are malfunctioning creatures as human beings. Death is in us. And yet, in verses four to six, we do see that death is a preacher of hope. Last week, Jonathan was saying that the the coffin is a better preacher than the crib, that people are able to reflect on their lives more in the context of of death than birth. And this week I saw that. I sat in someone's living room and they were bereaved and a husband was bereaved. And I was able to read a psalm and visited with Sally. And I just went home and thought, yeah, there is opportunity for those that are alive that there isn't for those who have died And so, um, the proverb is quoted here in verse 4. Anyone who is living has hope. Even a dead dog is better, sorry, even a living dog is better than a dead lion. In other words, to be alive is to have the day of opportunity in our hands in a way that we don't have when we're dead. Every day that we're alive, we have the opportunity to Reach out to our creator, our loving heavenly father who who loves us. And even in the face of death, when we're alive, Jesus comes to us and he says, Trust me. Walk with me through this time. Put your hand in mine. I love you. But stop trying to control everything. In the words of the teacher of Ecclesiastes, stop trying to tie up all the loose ends and figure everything out and have perfect peace and control, and health, and happiness, that's just not gonna happen. Time and chance happens to us all, as the teacher says here. Stop striving for control, because that's hevel, that's meaningless. The teaching here is actually, everybody accept life as a gift. Death is coming to us all, so embrace life. Accept life as a gift and every good thing that life has to offer. Your cup of coffee in the morning, good night's sleep, every beautiful June day that God has given us, enjoy it because death is coming. But as a Christian, there is another dimension to this. Death preaches hope to us because, because Christ has forged a way through death. We've had a lot of death in my family recently, and this week we've seen horrible deaths in the oceans, rich and poor. And on the one hand, every death tells me that life is broken and fallen and that this world is under a curse and I'm part of it. But on the other hand, Jesus, we're told in the New Testament and evidence through his resurrection, Jesus has conquered death. And so Paul actually writes triumphantly about death. In First Corinthians 15, he says this, For in Adam we all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. For we will reign, he must reign, until he puts all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy is death. We are sown in corruption, but we are raised in incorruption. We are sown in dishonor, but we're raised in glory. We're sown in weakness, but we will be raised in power. And that's what death means for the Christian. A few weeks ago, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller from New York, who was a mentor for so many, and and definitely for me, he passed away. And just before he, he died, he kissed his wife for 48 years on the head And he said to her, leaving has absolutely no downsides for me at all. And then he breathed his last. And there was a man who lived well. And the book of Ecclesiastes is all about living well while being prepared to die, which is the only known known in this life. The writer to the Hebrews puts it this way, it is destined for all men to die, and after that, to face judgment. Now, preparing to die doesn't mean dressing in black every day like Queen Victoria did after she lost her beloved husband, Prince Albert. But it does mean thinking about how to live well. And it means seizing the day and living life to the full. And that is the focus of the next few verses, verses seven to 10. But before we get there, I'd like us to look at the many things in life that we know that we don't know. So we're going to skip ahead to verses 11 to 12. The teacher says this, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to to them all. What he's kind of saying there is nine times out of 10, the race is to the swift, Nine times out of 10, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal win all the grand slams in tennis. Totally dominated, but every now and again, Andy Murray wins. (laughs) Now and again, there's a shock. Almost every time, England football team lose on penalties in the Euros or the World Cup. But every now and again, they win a penalty shootout. It was amazing, wasn't it, when Leicester won the Premier League? Who would have thought it? Always been dominated by by Man City. It was extraordinary when Emma Raducanu, just after she'd done her A-levels, won the US Open. But those are freak performances. Normally, the number one seeds win everything. Normally, the brilliant do get the best jobs. The well-educated get the best breaks. All the prime ministers go to Oxbridge and private schools before that. They're all of a certain class. But just every now and again, something freak happens. Time and chance happens. Unforeseen events occur. There is a glitch in this system, and often that glitch is negative. Verse 12, no one knows when that hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, So, people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. There are families here in church today who never thought they would live in the UK. They've had to to leave, when they grew up as children, they never thought that they would have to leave their families, their friends, and everything behind and just live here with a spare pair of clothes and one pair of shoes. I had a sister who was 25 years old who went on holiday to Bali, holiday of a lifetime. She got into a taxi, she was dead in seconds. Laurie went into her, 25 years old, about to get engaged, about to begin a career in law. Bang, it was all over. All of us have dreams. Many of us have dreams of happy married lives with 2.3 children well, those dreams very rarely pan out. So the question for us is, what does a life of beauty and meaning and purpose look like poised between these two extremes of the thing that we know that we know and the thing that we know that we don't know? The unexpected events of life. The answer of the teacher is very plain and in some ways very simple. It's this, enjoy the gifts that God has given you, and enjoy the God who gives you those gifts. So we're going to look now at some things that are wise. What we have is this chiasm, the things that we know that we don't know, the things that, uh, the thing that we know that we know, the things that we know that we don't know, and then the things that we know are wise, verses 7 to 10. Right at the start of verse 7, it says, go, eat your food with gladness. And drink your wine with a joyful heart. It doesn't just say, eat your food. It says, go. Carpe diem, seize the day. Go, go on holiday. Don't feel guilty if you've booked a nice holiday. Go, have fun. Because God has approved of that holiday. He's approved of what you do. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. He's given it to you as a gift. Life isn't about the meaning that you create for yourself, but you find meaning when you realize that God has given you this life in this world and many things in this world to enjoy. Next year will be the Paris Olympics. It will be exactly 100 years since Eric Liddell won the gold medal. Eric Liddell refused to run on a Sunday, and so he ran in an event that wasn't his event And he won the gold medal and we have the film Chariots of Fire. And I think that Eric Liddell will be all over churches next year, right? It's a a no-brainer. The quote that stands out from him is this. God made me fast and when I run, I feel his joy. God made me fast and when I run, I feel his joy. God made me an athlete and when I exercise, I feel his joy. God made me a musician, and when I play, I feel his joy. The text here in verse 8 says, always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife. It does matter how you look. Don't think that just because you're going to die, it doesn't matter how you look. Look after yourself. Exercise. This world is meant to be a place of beauty and life and color. Next verse, verse 9, I put in my wedding anniversary card. I love this. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days for this is your lot in life <laughs> and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Good memory verse, Ecclesiastes 9.9. If you have a spouse, enjoy your life with the person that God has given you. Don't just put up with your wife. Enjoy your life with your wife. And the challenge to me is, if you're too busy to enjoy life that you have together, you're too busy. But eating, drinking, dressing, loving, they're God's gifts to us. So go and enjoy them, says the teacher. This is wise because we're physical people in a physical world, and God wants us to have fun and to enjoy this physical world. Not as the hedonist does, simply by seeking pleasure all the time, but by enjoying the simple things as God's gift to us. So David Gibson, who writes a brilliant book on Ecclesiastes called Destiny says this, go to the theater, go to the beach, cook a meal, watch a movie, run a marathon, snorkel in the ocean, ring your parents, join the church plant, speak about Jesus, foster children, give away your fortune, and shape someone else's life by laying down your own. You might want to add to that list in a hundred ways. Verse 10 says this, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you're going, there's neither working nor planting nor knowledge nor wisdom. This is kind of like an older man speaking to a younger man and saying, if I know what I know now, young man, I'd do things differently. I'd slow down. I'd enjoy the kids. Only yesterday they were knee high. Now they're leaving home. I'd take more time. I'd slow down, I'd be listening more, I'd be having fun more. Now it can be confusing as a Christian to work out how to deal with all this physical stuff in a world that is passing away. But Ecclesiastes teaches us that really we can only find, we can only really enjoy the created things if we enjoy the creator and we don't worship those created things so they become slave masters So in terms of wisdom, the second thing to say about wisdom is, it's not wise to worship God's gifts. If you make sex your God, like so many do, what is normal becomes a chain which leads to perversion and slavery. If you make family your God, you'll become empty and unfulfilled because there's a glitch and things don't pan out the way you expect. When you worship God's gifts, they don't deliver what they promise Because we're not meant to worship them, we're meant to enjoy them. See this from the C.S. Lewis quote on the screen. C.S. Lewis says, Natural loves that are allowed to become gods do not remain loves. In fact, they become complicated forms of hatred. So don't worship things that are meant to be enjoyed with an open hand. But finally, it is wise to seek our ultimate joy in our joyful God. We need to remember this about God. God is not an old man in the sky in a cold white room waving a stick to zap us if we get it wrong. He is a joyful host who welcomes us into his kingdom and to the most lavish things to enjoy. You know, the afterlife, the new heavens and the new earth is described as a great banquet of aged wine and sweet meats. I know that some of you here this morning, you have very few material possessions. Some of you have had to leave everything and you have nothing. Listen to this verse from from Joel 2 verse 25. God says this, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Whatever you've given up, If you're trusting in Christ, it will be restored to you. Not necessarily in this life, but definitely in the life to come. The Bible's picture, you see, of the life to come is food and drink and white clothes and oil and weddings. These things that we read about here are foretastes of what's to come. Because we have a joyful God who is our host and the beauty and grandeur and glory of the world to come, we can't really put into words. C.S. Lewis writes novels that, that use imagery like this. In, in the last chapter of the Chronicles of Narnia, he ends it like this. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land that I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. The reason that we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked like this. Succumb further up and further in. Those without Jesus, they sometimes abandon themselves to food and drink and sex because They think, well, this is all that we have before we die, eat, drink, and be merry. But those who are in Christ, who have trusted in Christ, we cherish eating and drinking and lovemaking because it looks a little like what we will do forever after we die. See, this is good news, isn't it?